Ward Scott Files Advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. On Monday morning, a coach hog locker room Monday morning. By golly, we've got a lot in the locker room today, too. I can tell you that right now. And uh, fortunately, it did not snow in there. Uh, we'd really be kind of shivering right now with our jackets on. But uh, Coach Hall here, and uh, we have some fun with you and talk about sports a little bit. Uh, seem to be taking over everything. And we're going to be here in the Mellon Law Studio. Uh, Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida, Fighting Gator. And we're protected 24-7. 365 by crime prevention and supported by great, great uh, advertisers like On The Spot Cleaners. You go to On The Spot, you're going to get a good deal, going to meet wonderful people. These businesses are really, they did make it themselves. They did build it themselves. We support them. They support us. We all look after each other. That's the way it should work. And we've got some other great folks. Shoot GTR, of course, is a home-owned uh shooting range here, very safe and the only outdoor one. Style Cuts is a good uh, fan of the show with David Ratliff, so I'll leave somebody out here if I don't watch it. R&R Construction, etc., etc. Well, Caliber Coffee also. Let me just uh, wet my whistle here. If you order Caliber Coffee, uh, say Ward 15, you'll get 15% off. What better deal is there than that? And it'll ship it right to your door. Looking at the weather, which I'll get into in detail for us in the half hour. But let's talk about how the weather has treated this billion, billion, billionaire business that is consuming, if you will, the American imagination. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? I just made it up. Just now. I didn't know I was going to say it. I mean, it's obsessing college life. It's obsessing high school life. And it certainly has been knocked out of Skyway and crooked by Mother Nature. Now, we're talking about the big-time pro activities. Fortunately, the University of Florida, basketball, women and men, has had a pretty good little snapback. The women won yesterday. The women and the men won. What is the world coming to? I mean, they're good teams. They should have been winning a little more than they are. But there's a lot of parity now with this, um, you know, NIL and, um, collective and all those kind of shadowy things. But 
hey, maybe in the long run it's going to be more exciting for the fans. Um, we'll see. But the University of Florida basketball teams, men and women, have been winning in the last time out. So keep your fingers crossed. In the pro world, I think the thing I've heard the most complaining about is the peacock. Now, I got to admit, once you said peacock, I sort of remembered the peacock as being one of the branding images of, I think, one of the big networks. I'm not going to say which one. And that big network has had a peacock. I guess. Now, in order to see, and I don't know which game it was, um, I try not to keep my head cluttered with this stuff, you had to subscribe. I guess it was Dallas. The Peacock, which was a, a another station carved out of the middle of the bigger network, which was the only way you could see the football game. And so people are scrambling around to subscribe to the Peacock. And I think there were two versions of it. Five extra bucks a month or nine extra bucks a month. And, and that one you got a little bit more, I guess, than you did in the five-buck one. But you got to see the game. Well, the game was such a blowout. Nobody cares about the Peacock now. And the joke around on the social platforms is, how long did it take you to try to ditch the peacock? But somebody somewhere carved out the numbers that just making people get peacock to see that game. And as far as I know, it was only one of the playoff games you had to get peacock to do it with resulted in all this extra money. Well, Leave it to some uh, some genius to know how to do that. But we have been saturated. And i got to tell you, I was talking to my old buddies, football buddies, and we were laughing at people complaining about the weather, how bad it was, quote-unquote, and playing a football game in it. Football games were meant to be played in that kind of weather. In our high school gym, I, I kid you not, we kept the gym. I'm not talking about the basketball area. I'm talking about the weight room, coaching offices, taping offices, or rooms, equipment rooms. We kept them unswept on purpose. We kept them hot and uncomfortable on purpose. Our weight room, which was a heck of a weight room for a high school, was not air conditioned. It was not swept out every day. 
I know the women go crazy when they hear this. But here was the point. We're going to imitate the conditions of the field. We're not going to be playing in manicured, indoor, outdoor, carpeted facilities. We're going out in what was once, no doubt, a cow pasture. During summer practice, we deliberately kept the practice field grassless and hard as rock. When you got tackled on that field and you got up and you didn't quit and you came back for the next play, you were one of us, okay? You weren't going anywhere. You had what it took. You didn't mind the fact that your weight room wasn't swept out. You didn't mind the fact that when you showered, mud ran down the drain. That's the way it was supposed to be. We kind of laughed at all this stuff about, oh my golly, how are they going to do it? And you see how they did it? It didn't bother the Kansas City Chiefs. And the sweetheart of the team and boy, Dungy doesn't like that at all. Coach Dungy, he, he's a hard dude. He's the old-fashioned guy. He doesn't think Taylor Swift should even be on the campgrounds because it's making the image of the Kansas City Chiefs a bunch of wusses. Well, there's something to be said about that. You know, Kelsey looking up after every momentous moment on the field to get her approval is not the way the old school coaches want their players behaving. And so Dungey came out and objected to that. Some people think it's the greatest thing in the world because we've linked a couple of incredibly, incredibly financial bonanza producing products together billions and billions, which can only be good for each. <laughs> so there's a, a lot of controversy, and worth controversy, that's, that's good. But it didn't bother the Chiefs any. Snowing, blowing, they went right out there and did their job. And that's the way it ought to be. However, <clears throat> I have a friend who played for the Buffalo Bills. He swears that there is no more uncomfortable place in a blizzard on terra firma than Buffalo. That the wind comes right off that lake. The snow is horizontal to the ground. Parallel to the ground. You can't survive it. It comes right through the stadium. So they called it off. It will be played today. Amazing. Postponed. There are limits, I guess. But those of us who've been around for a while, we remember the great goal line stand 
with the Cowboys and the Packers on the frozen tundra that resulted in the team trying to keep the team out of their end zone, unable to get traction to keep them out. It's one of the great photos of great storied rivalries. And it involved the great storied coaches, Lombardi, Landry, if my memory served me right. So, there's a reason. Kansas City said, bring it on. Buffalo Bill said, Kansas City is not Buffalo. Buffalo is the worst place in a blizzard on the face of the earth. So, be that as it may, there's more of this to come. Thank goodness. Two more games today. And by the way, the Australian Open is going full blast, down under, as they say. And Ben Shelton, our University of Florida NCAA champion, is into the next round when having won yesterday. We'll keep eye on young Ben. Now, there's a story here within these stories I'm giving you that struck my fancy. And it struck the fancy of the Wall Street Journal. There's a coach whose name, I don't know how to say this tactfully, reverberates in Yon Hall quite a bit along with the reverberation of Coach Spurrier's. Coach Spurrier, of course, is Florida football. But this coach in the Wall Street Journal has done an interesting analysis of Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan. Here's what Mike Shanahan means to NFL football and Florida football. This is mostly about his influence relationship with NFL football. He hasn't coached in the NFL since 2013. But Andrew Beaton says his influence has never been stronger. Now, put this in the context of Belichick, Saban, Pete Carroll, all hanging it up. That's the end of an era. Although Belichick may wind up at Dallas. But there's one NFL head coach. He's in his early 70s. He still has a team in the playoffs. Actually, Beaton says he has five teams in the playoffs. Now, Mike Shanahan is basically known as the architect of back-to-back Super Bowl titles with the Denver Broncos. 
But five playoff teams this season have head coaches or coordinators who were assistants under Shanahan during his time in Washington from 2010 to 2013. Now, back then, they didn't have any name recognition. The most prominent among them was Kyle Shanahan, who is Mike Shanahan's son, and he was the offensive coordinator. Guess what? He now coaches the San Francisco 49ers. When you hear Shanahan on the sideline, his name, that is Mike Shanahan's son. The staff also included three other current head coaches in lesser roles. These were guys that coached with Mike Shanahan at Washington. The Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay. The Green Bay Packers, Matt LaFleur. And the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel. Bobby Slavny. It goes on and on. The coordinator of the Houston Texans offense also got his NFL job through Shanahan. So what this means right now, and think about it, because here are these owners, particularly the owner of the Cowboys, who is not going to be able to sleep at night, absolutely obsessed, I guarantee you at this moment, trying to figure out where did I go wrong when everything was, all the stars were lined up. Meanwhile, the the, the Shanahan influence is shaping, according to Beaton, the NFL more unmistakably than ever before. Now, what is he doing? Shanahan is considered to be an innovative, offensive schemer. He is the guy who makes these high-powered offenses go. The timing of these offenses, if they're really polished, and well thought out, and well practiced, is must function within three seconds. And you think about three seconds, tick, 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 and that quarterback has released that ball, probably to a spot where the receiver of the ball has not even arrived yet. Mike Shanahan, has taught these guys to be good by keeping up with every subtle change in the game. Because the game, he says, is changing constantly. Now, 
Shanahan was not all that noticeably successful when Washington was the Redskins. But where he won two Super Bowls with John Elway, it was a different story. And now Shanahan, 71 years old, has still got his voice in the ears of five coaches in the NFL. So McDaniel, for example, was a coaching intern under Mike Shanahan with the Broncos and had graduated from Yale. He'd been coaching for a UFL team and had also spent time in Houston. But they'd all played football. And Shanahan respected their education and their teaching ability, which I think I mentioned to you was what the head coach who wanted me to coach with him saw in me. He saw a teacher. And he says, this is all about teaching. So John Gruden of Tampa Bay, once again, that person has been influenced by Shanahan. Now, to be sure, Shanahan didn't have an idea of how this would all work out, but it's working out. It's working out because of his insistence on being a student of every moment of the game. Um, I think it's interesting that the teachers or coaches, if we could just conduct the high school classrooms the way we do the high school football field, think what we could do. Because when you go to education class, what the professors have found will work the best, works the best. But it's not practical to work it in an academic classroom, but it's highly practical to work it in an athletic field. Let me explain what I mean, because I was both. I wore both hats. I was in the classroom, and I was on the field. Now, on the field, we did what we said would work in the education colleges. We said, team teach. We team taught. We said, find where the student can go and be successful and put that student in that position. We did that. We didn't make the 270-pound kid the quarterback. We made him a lineman. So, there you will succeed and coach him up, teach him up. So, we had small groups. Then we had big groups. Every once in a while, get them all together and let them perform as a big group. And then every once in a while, swap them around. And we'd do that in the spring training. We'd maybe move a linebacker to guard. 
and move them around. And sometimes we get them playing more than one position. But we were team teaching. We were small group, large group. We were instant advice, instant, right there on the spot. We were also not afraid to criticize and call it what it was, a lousy job that they could be much capable of doing better and then show them how they could do it better. And we'd run them off if they didn't come to practice. We wouldn't accept it with one of us. In the classroom, I couldn't do team teaching. It was only me. And I might have 35 kids. And by the way, the classroom has to take the kid whenever the kid moves to town. We don't have to take the player. We control that. We control whom we teach on the field. We do not control whom we teach in the classroom. We can't run them off. We can't speak harshly. We've got feelings in the classroom. Feelings. We don't have feelings on the field. We have got community display of our coaching on the field. We don't have it in the classroom. We can't get the parents, it's a kind of a generalization, but mostly true, to take interest much on the student's classroom. We can't keep them away on the players' Friday night lights. They love it. And we help them. We get a band. We get cheerleaders. We get popcorn. We get the press. There's none of that for the classroom. So this influence that Shanahan has over these young guys, classroom teachers have the same thing. Believe me. There are people you teach who want to go out and teach like you. But you can't get them a set of circumstances like you could get them on the field. Now, sometimes we do something about that. We find a leader, a principal, or a program at the county office, and we carve out a particular approach. And call it a special name. And invitation only. In an attempt to control the variables. Because if we can't control the variables, we're, we're in a tough position. 
All these things occurred to me when I was both on the field and in the classroom on the same day. On the same day. You know, hours apart. So, Shanahan, his people have been reaching playoffs, different teams. He stays in touch with his former assistants. Um, he's never he's not in coaching now because he doesn't want to compete against his son. Besides, he's seventy some years old. He doesn't. Uh, Want to do it anymore for whatever reason. Bless him. He was here at the University of Florida. And there are some coaches here that know a lot about Mike Shanahan and have a lot of Mike Shanahan stories. But I thought that might be interesting to you because it would give me an opportunity to share with you some things that not many people see. I don't know of anybody else quite in my position where I was in academics and athletics. Um, Usually you have to take one or the other. And when I first was asked to be on the coaching staff, the assistant principal called me in good friend, still alive today, and said, Ward, are you sure you want to do this? You know, there's no question about what you can do it, but you're such a good classroom teacher. And then he said something to me. It's true. He said, you can't serve two masters. And you're going to serve the coaches. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Coach Hogg's locker room is Coach Hogg's locker room with comments on athletics that probably have a little different perspective than that which you're used to hearing. Because I can compare it to the academic world. I used to tell the students who were trying to learn how to write a good sentence, I would say to them, listen, I can get you to the place or I can give you the grammatical signal or a sentence pattern I want. And you'll be able to write it. And if you don't think you can do it, we do the very same thing on the football field. We call out a pattern we want. The quarterback calls that pattern out. He's assigning behavior to everybody who hears that call. That call is individualized by each player, and that player knows how to perform precisely if things go well when that ball is snapped. I can do the very same thing with you in a sentence just by calling 
grammatical signals. Now, I'm going to give you a play I want you to run. I know none of you can run it. And I'm going to start out very simple. N-S-V-I, third person, present tense, singer. N-S-V-I, third person, singular. You can put in what you want. He laughs. Okay? I'm going to do the same pattern, very simple. I want to NS, VI, third person singular, adverb. NS, third person singular, adverb. Present tense. He laughs loudly. Okay? And I can work this series of plays until they get very complicated. And I can take and write all of that in grammatical signals on the board. And I can write a sentence that will run that play precisely. And when the students say, oh, I can do that, well, your quarterback can do it. Your quarterback can call the play. He can even give fake signals. But look what we do with him. We drill, drill, drill. We drill, drill, drill. We don't do it in a classroom. Thought I'd run that by you. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Oh, you'd have to be kind of a nerd for it to be interesting. I'm sure you're interested in the quarterback calling the pass routes or, you know, center maybe calling the blocking schemes or whoever. But I think calling sentence patterns pretty neat. Now, it didn't jump out at me. I didn't know it, you know, coming out of the womb, I'd study it. I'd study the sentence patterns. And then I, I realized, well, every one of them can be written in the code. Hey, we do it when we're writing computer code. That's a language. Right back in the words, Scott Files with the weather. Stay tuned. <laughs> Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on 
on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! All right. Ward's Weather Report. Brought to you by Lewis Oil, Fossil Fuel, Chevron Stations. Patronize people who patronize us. Wendell Lewis, wonderful person. We hope that you uh, understand that climate change gets a new term every, seems like, few months. In fact, its most recent guru, John Kerry, just quit. What did he get done? I can't think of a single thing. 48 degrees right now in God's country, outside the manly warthog man cave, and going up to about 65. Inclement, a little cloudy, a little dreary. That's the way it is. It's our winter month, January. Um, we have got also um, some interesting news here. Basically, we just reported on the postponement, this doesn't happen much very often, of a playoff game uh, from yesterday to today because of the terrible weather in the Buffalo area of New York. And it was also pretty bad in Kansas City. And the uh, weather is going to be pretty tough up there for a while with this Arctic outbreak. The um, computer I'm looking at right now um, calls the blizzard in Buffalo 
brutal weather. And um, it has this Arctic outbreak with lake effect snow. Wow, wow, wow. We also have a southern U.S. storm that is ushering in frigid air, ice, and snow. And we've got the issue out in the mountains where we've had avalanches. So that's where we are, and that's where we'll probably stay in some form or another all next week. Yes, where Ken Hillier is, Atlanta is fixing to really get hit hard. So buckle down, stay ready for it. We will do the best we can here. I think we'll miss quite a bit of it. But nevertheless, uh, govern yourself accordingly. Ward's Weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Well, I want to take a few moments out today because it is MLK Junior Day. I believe it's the third Wednesday of every January the government has uh, decided to declare that Wednesday Monday, I mean, Monday, um, as MLK Day. I'm of the age, and I was in a geographical location, that I can tell you, honest to God, live stories about those days and the people like him whom I saw in person. I don't want to tell the world this, but I'm of the age where when I was around high school age, I was walking on the same sidewalks as Martin Luther King. I was riding on the same buses as Rosa Williams. There for a while we lived in Montgomery, Alabama. As you know, my father was in the heavy construction business. Heavy construction business goes where the work is. A lot of work was being done in the South after the war. Rightfully so. You bring electricity to the South to upgrade the standard of living. And this involved building dams and um all sorts of things, lots of which was on the, were on the river. And uh, my father worked with a uh, construction called, not me owned by a fellow named Red Blunt. Red Blunt became President Nixon's U.S. Postmaster General. So <clears throat> those were the days when you get on the bus and there maybe be Rosa Williams. Or you'd go over to Selma, to the Pettus Bridge, and there'd be, of course, MLK. The only thing I can say about it is everybody sort of understood that in the South I'm talking about now, of course, you had your hardcore people like George Wallace who really were going to resist it all the way. But everybody sort of understood that when Kennedy 
sent Baker Evers to Ole Miss. It was going to happen. General Eisenhower as President Eisenhower in 1954 had already integrated Little Rock High School. I think it was four high school girls. He sent the National Guard in there to Rosa Parks. Yes, Rosa Parks, I'm sorry. Rosa Williams is our local version of that. Thank you, Mark. I'm getting old, my man. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. Appreciate that. Um, So, General Eisenhower, who was President Eisenhower then, integrated Little Rock High School was the National Guard. And he was a Republican president. So there's really an interesting narrative here that gets corrupted. The attention to the plight of MLK and Rosa Parks was obviously paid by the Republicans. If you want to go all the way back, you can go back to Lincoln. You come up forward to General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower. And I think I've told this story before. Years later, fast forward, I was already an adult. I went to an NAACP banquet. I'm invited. I go. Come on. I'm a human being. I live in a community. And um, the fellow, the young guy who was with um, King most of the time, almost all the time, um, none of King's bodyguards were um, armed. People who walked with him in the streets, nobody was armed because he had taught his people from what Gandhi had taught him. And that is passive resistance works very, very well. And here's how it works. When the dominant force is beating on you and you don't beat back and fight back, people tend to side with the person who is on the losing end of it. It's just human instinct. And they'll begin to go to your side. And that's what King was able to teach. And get his people to do. So they would go to eat-ins. They would go to sit-ins. So, you know, we began to see these. And, uh, you know, it uh, caught our attention, of course. But, you know, it was not violent, except if it did become violent, then it worked against 
the people who were perpetrating the violence, they began to look like bullies. And, you know, somebody who hadn't been paying attention before would say, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? What's going on here? I mean, that's not fair. People want a fair fight. They don't want an unfair uh, fight. So, let me just check a couple of facts here. The social magnetism, if you will, of King's approach began to catch on. And people began to uh, notice this. And it began to make a difference. And people began to notice that King hadn't done anything to them other than being so harsh to him. And then when he gets some involved with Birmingham and Bull Connor comes along and locks him up or trying to affect change there. He was always trying to do it at one of the service levels as I remember, like the garbage people who picked up the stuff needed better pay, that sort of thing, and was put in jail. He wrote to the white clergyman who had not yet supported him the letter, what is known as the letter from Birmingham jail. And The letter is a classic in taking a position that it's unheard of by anybody in the so-called Black Lives Matter who can articulate it today. King went to jail for violating a law. I don't know what it was, organizing, you know, without a permit or something. He went to jail. <clears throat> And agreed to do the time. And he said, I broke the law, so I need to go to jail. I broke a law. Now imagine that today. Imagine if there were a leader around today who could say that. I mean, come on. They don't say that. What are they saying? Oh, the law is bad. The law has been made by the whites to protect us against you from them. No. King said, hey, the law, I broke it. I'll go to jail. But you should change the law. The law should match the moral law. Moral laws, God's laws, should match 
that humans should try to write their laws so they match divine law. The law that put me in jail here does not match divine law because I'm marching to try to get help for people who are being maligned and not taken care of for what they do appropriately. Jesse Jackson, when he came to this banquet, said the most amazing thing. And I've shared this with you before. He said, at that jail, King was a Republican. He was locked up as a Republican. And he asked Richard Nixon, or set the word for it, to come and see him in the jail. Not to get him out, but to come and visit him. And Richard Nixon didn't go. It was a presidential contest at that time between Nixon and John Kennedy. John Kennedy went to Birmingham jail and stuck up for Martin Luther King. Who changes his political party affiliation thereafter from Republican to Democrat. Now, Jesse Jackson's point at the NAACP banquet, which I was in attendance of, heard it with my own two ears, was to the black folk in the audience, not white guys like me, but to the black folk. He said, I about fell out of my chair. We should be mindful of that because the white Democrat folk, you black folk, have been using you. Have been doing nothing for you but using you for themselves, politically, forever since then. Don't follow them blindly. Be more careful and intelligent, less herd-like, for whom you're going to support in these elections. I, I just, I, I got to tell you, that deserves a caliber call. Couldn't believe it. I thought, well, surely the Gainesville Sunset will cover this. Gainesville Sunset never covered it. Never wrote it down. Never printed anything about it. 
I'm sitting there thinking, wow. And the letter from Birmingham jail, when you read it and study it, you see it as a completely reasonably structured and written piece. No anger. No demeaning. I got no business. I got no uh, problem being locked up. Broke the law. The law is wrong. Make the law match divine law. I don't ever see that anywhere anymore. I see the race baiters, Al Sharpton. I'm totally, totally indifferent to Black Lives Matter. I, I just don't like the way I don't like the I don't like the letters. King would never have done that. <clears throat> never have done that. I think he would have done something more like he did in a letter from Birmingham jail. The law matters. You hear this stuff all the time. All we're national laws. No, I said, no, no, we're not. We're men who interpret the law. So get the law right. I think what he'd be saying. I don't think he would be saying Black Lives Matter. The whole movement, once King was assassinated, never ever recaptured its spiritual basis. So I would recommend you all read for yourself a letter from Birmingham Jail. It's out on the internet. It's about six pages long. And I can't help you. Jesse Jackson's still alive, but I've never been around where he said that again. But he dang sure said it there. And my apology, yes, Rosa Parks. I was around when those people were Walking down the sidewalk, and I was walking down the sidewalk. And we all had the same spiritual kind of background. Because King's comments and all, as you know, were born in the church. And that was the glue that made it all work. Have a great guest tomorrow. Have a good time. Take care of yourself today. Warhol Command Center out. <clears throat>